It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, guys? It is Friday, August 16th, 2019. This is Locked On Phillies. I'm Tim Kelly. It certainly was an eventful week for the Phillies, so let's get to our usual Friday stuff, the three things that the Phillies taught us this week. Number one is that the jury is probably still out on Gabe Kapler's future. Over the past few weeks, I think people have tried to make sweeping declarations about Gabe Kapler's future as the Phillies manager one way or another. And this is one of those situations where I think anyone that's telling you they know for certain he's going to be back or they know for certain that he's not going to be back isn't telling the truth because I don't know that the Phillies know that right now. Bob Nightingale wrote an article last week saying that Gabe Kapler is still beloved by Phillies executives and the prevailing belief among those executives is that he'll be back next year. Certainly, I don't doubt that that's true. But the Phillies have underachieved offensively for much of the season And that doesn't simply fall on the manager, of course, but Matt Gelb of The Athletic reported that John Middleton, the Phillies' managing partner and the closest thing they have to a majority owner, was the leading voice in making the decision on inserting Charlie Manuel as the heading coach. So as much as Matt Klintak talked at the press conference after the decision was made about how it was a collaborative decision, it seemed to be initiated from ownership. So Regardless of how executives may feel about Kapler, it's clear that the owner is upset with how the season has gone, and ultimately he's the one that makes has the final say on everything. And as much as the front office may might like Gabe, I don't think they're going to fall on their sword for him if it comes down to it. So I would say that the last six weeks of the Phillies season are going to go a long way in deciding Gabe Kapler's future. If the Phillies collapse like they did last season, that probably doesn't bode well for him. If they get really hot and sneak into the playoffs, a lot of the credit will be heaped onto Charlie Manuel. And I don't know how well it would reflect on Gabe Kapler, but the truth is if the Phillies make the playoffs for the first time in eight years, it's really hard to see them making a managerial change. The strange situation will be if the Phillies win something like 83 games, they don't reach the playoffs, but they don't entirely collapse either. Will the organization give Gabe Kapler another season, realizing that the bullpen was decimated by injuries and there wasn't even close to enough starting pitching? I don't know. In some senses, it would depend on how they would get to 83 wins, but I don't think it's going to be because of their starting pitching or the bullpen. So the offense would have had to come around a little bit to get to that amount of wins. It is worth monitoring the fact that Gabe Kapler would be a lame duck if he came back next year without a new deal. Maybe they'll give him a new deal or maybe he won't be back, in which case this would become a a moot point. But Joe Madden has won a pennant in both leagues. He helped the Cubs to break an 108-year World Series drought, and he's managed a season as a lame duck. It'll be interesting to see if Gabe Kapler and the Phillies would be willing to go into the season as a having him as a lame duck. It would be a cloud hanging over the entire season, and that's not a great way to start out a season. And the interesting layer to this is that Bob Nightingale in the same report where he talked about the Phillies' love of Gabe Kapler, the executives' love, 
He mentioned an interesting thing that Farhan Zaidi, the Giants president, who was the Dodgers GM when Gabe Kapler was there in the front office as a director of player development, he may want to hire Gabe Kapler as the manager if he becomes available. I talked about this last week. Uh, He was certainly on their short list early on there, and then ultimately a, a variety of things happened, and they went with Dave Roberts, which regardless of what happens with Gabe Kapler, they made a good decision going with Dave Roberts. But Zaidi's in a situation now where you have a lot less established players. You have an iconic manager who's in his final season managing there. So you're going to have an opening, and I'd be interested to see if Gabe Kapler got the sense that he was going to come back, but he was going to come back as a lame duck, and the grass may be greener in San Francisco where he would be guaranteed a few seasons. I'd be interested to see if he would have uh, reservations about coming back as a lame duck in that potential situation. BlueChew.com is a sponsor of today's show. BlueChew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill. Right now, we've got a special deal for Locked On Phillies listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code MLB. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's BlueChew.com, promo code MLB. The second thing the Phillies taught us this week is that JT Real Muto really is having a special season. Because the Phillies gave up a haul to get JT Real Muto in February, and really I think Sixto Sanchez is going to be the only one of a special consequence in that deal, but he wasn't the only piece moved, obviously. People look at that and they take that into account, and then the fact that he moved into a hitter's ballpark and into a lineup that, even if it's disappointed, is still better than the Marlins lineup. I think a lot of people have lost track of gauging the season JT Real Muto is having not compared to what you expected out of him but just based on its own merits and and no he's probably not going to finish in the top 10 in NL MVP voting as I predicted at the beginning of the season but he was an all-star and he deserved to be an all-star and his second half of the season has been even better Real Muto's throwing out a league leading 32 would-be base dealers according to Fangraphs Uh, Fangraphs also says that he's graded out as the best defender not only as a catcher but at any position position in the entire sport he has nine defensive runs saved we've been talking a lot about the gold glove at this point if JT Real Muto doesn't win the National League catching gold glove uh, something's very wrong but he may be forcing his way into the platinum glove discussion I don't remember exactly when this was introduced but I don't know if a Phillies ever won it so that's given to the best defender overall at all positions in a league so there's one in the National League and one in the American League it's kind of become the Nolan Arenado award I know Manny Machado won one when he was in Baltimore so it's stiff competition in a lot of senses I don't know if a catcher is going to be the one looked at to win that award but he has to be in the discussion if this season can continues like this he's also having the best offensive month of his time with the Phillies in August he's hitting over 325 this month he has over 10 RBIs in Wednesday night he along with Bryce Harper led the effort he had a grand slam it was his second grand slam of the season and second since the all-star break that made him the first Philly since Benito Santiago in 1996 hit two grand slams as a catcher that played for the Phillies so uh, pretty impressive company there Uh, Overall, he leads the team with a 4.2 F4. He's the first Phillies position player since Jimmy Rollins in 2012 to have an F4 over 4. Now, 
Uh, as Jason Ferry of Phillies Nation pointed out when I tweeted this, that's not necessarily a, a great indictment of how the Phillies have been this decade. But still, to be the first one to do that in seven years, that that's pretty impressive. And I believe this is now the third consecutive season he's topped the four-war mark. So catchers really struggle to make Hall of Fame cases because it's just a position where a lot of guys don't come up early. Real Muto would kind of be one of those guys. A lot of guys have trouble sustaining it. I don't think JT Real Muto is going to be one of those guys. I think he could catch well into his 30s. But in terms of who's been one of the best catchers this decade, he's absolutely in the discussion, at least in the last five years. I think you can make a case he's been one of the two or three best catchers in the sport. So uh, a lot to like. He talked at the All-Star break about how he could see himself spending the rest of his career in Philly. I don't know if that's going to happen because I think he's someone that eventually could play another position when he's done catching. He's athletic enough. So he could do basically what Darren Dalton did and go to either first base or right field or third base maybe even to extend his career, assuming his bat stays good. So saying the rest of his career, that might be quite some time for Real Muto, but for the foreseeable future, it would certainly make sense for the Phillies to lock him up and take care of him this offseason. The final thing that the Phillies taught us this week is that Aaron Nola has really had a nice bounce back. Uh, I I think his start the other night got lost, and understandably so, and Cole Hamels being back and Charlie Manuel being back and the Phillies' offense exploding for 10 runs. But Aaron Nola's ERA after his June 15th start in Atlanta was 489. Since then, he's posted a 2.09 ERA in 11 starts. After uh, Wednesday's performance, his ERA on the season is now down to 3.56. Look, his FIP is still at 4.09. His F4 is less than half of what it was a season ago. If you take the totality of Aaron Nola's season, he's pitched a lot more like a number three starter on a really good team, and that's opposed to last year where he was probably not a number three starter, but just the number three starter in the entire sport. But it's encouraging that he's limited his home runs recently, even if Chris Bryant hit a very long home run off him in the seventh inning Wednesday. But being able to make major adjustments during the season, it's crucial for a star pitcher. This season is not going to be a year that we look back as the highlight of Aaron Nola's career because I don't know if he's going to do what he did last year, but I think he's going to compete for Cy Youngs in multiple years throughout the course of the rest of his career. Would not surprise me at all if he won one or two. Uh, but he has battled this season and a season that even in early July, I think a lot of people thought was turning into a lost season. It absolutely is not. And if the Phillies do get a one game playoff and he hasn't been burned to get them into that one game playoff, I feel pretty good about how he perform in uh, a one game playoff. Manny Machado is in town. That will always be unique because of his connection to Bryce. Uh, <laughs> For me personally, I've written literally thousands of articles about Philly sports in the last six years. Far too many of them have been dedicated to people that didn't end up playing in Philly, namely Manny Machado, Andrew Wiggins, Marcus Mariota. That trio never spent a second in Philly, and Bryce Harper's probably passed them in terms of people I've wrote about the most, but they're up there, which is kind of scary, especially when you consider... Andrew Wiggins and Marcus Mariota haven't been nearly what anyone expected them to be. So uh, it's funny how hindsight works. You can follow me on Twitter at Tim Kelly Sports and read my work on philliesnation.com and radio.com. I'll talk to you guys next week. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. 
Download the Amazon Music app today.